Great. So welcome to another episode of the Speed Change Repeat Podcast today with David Melman. Hi, David. How's it going? It's great. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk. Yes, likewise. Um, you are the co-founder and CEO of Omics, and going to be talking a lot about what you guys are up to. But, you know, always as kind of the icebreaker question, um, you know, kind of jumping into, into the recording, I always like to ask um, kind of like the, the same question in the beginning, because I, uh, and it's also my f- most favorite question in, in the sense of like finding out where, you know, the person we're talking to is kind of like coming from um, to understand like, okay, so how did they actually end up, you know, where they are today and in the sense of like what they're building. So it would be really great if you could kind of like, you know, in a chronological, um, you know, step basically go through the different stages of like, you know, you know, wh- where are you coming from, David? What have you done? And how did you end up where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was born and raised in New York City um, and spent my entire life there until um, the pandemic hit. Uh, had every intention of staying there my entire life, but you know things change. Wife, child, um, global pandemic—all these things uh, affect our lives. So um, I, I grew up there, um, and I moved back the day I graduated from college and went to work in the finance world uh, on Wall Street, doing what's called sell-side equity research. So doing research on um, publicly listed companies and selling that research to large institutional investors, mutual funds, hedge funds, um, types like that. Uh, I covered a number of different industries there from beverages to banks to semiconductors and just sort of did whatever I could to learn as much as I could about how to analyze companies. Um, And then from there, I moved to what they call the buy side. So I went to work at a large hedge fund um, covering mostly consumer and consumer technology stocks. Um, really fascinating part of the market to me um, and, and absolutely loved it. Um, did not spend any real time thinking about my health and wellness um, up until that point in my life um, and, and quite a bit beyond that actually. But I played some sports casually in high school um, and you know when I went to college, that stopped, and never went to the gym, and you know never really paid much attention to what I was eating or or anything like that. Um, and then when I got out of college, I was working you know over a hundred hours a week, um, spending you know a lot of nights, late nights and early mornings at my desk, um, and was sort of just eating you know whatever was closest or easiest. Um, and the hours that I wasn't in the office, I was trying to sleep, you know, or, or see friends and stuff like that. Um, fast forward a little bit into sort of my mid thirties, um, you know, things start to ache, you know, you start to feel tired all the time and, and, you know, your, your lifestyle catches up with you, let's say. Um, and I just knew that I had to make a change, but, you know, I, I had no experience exercising or with nutrition or anything like that. So, um, I was actually talking to uh, a dear friend of mine who is a fitness professional, former professional athlete, and she was just basically telling me, hey, you know, you've got to lift the weights, they've got to be heavy, you've got to move your body fast, um, and you've got to really pay attention to how you're fueling your body and how you're recovering. All of that sounded like, you know, gibberish to me and pretty terrible, you know, and, and I was like, oh, that doesn't, I'm not going to do that stuff. Um, but she said, you'll, you'll love it. And, and I said, no, I won't. I'm, 
you know, I'm, I, I don't lift heavy things and I don't like to sweat a lot. And um, this is not for me. And she said, just give it a try. Uh, and lo and behold, um, I went back to New York. I, I got a trainer um, and I started exercising and I fell in love with it immediately. I loved seeing the progress. I loved tracking the, the, the progress. I was feeling better. I was sleeping better. Uh, my mood was better. You know, my life was just better. And so um, I dove pretty deep into it right off the bat um, and start, started to analyze, you know, wanted to, wanted to figure out what was going on and, and how could I optimize everything. So got a whoop, um, was listening to the whoop podcast uh, where they had a nutritionist on, listened to her story and actually DM'd her um, and asked if I could be a client. And she's now one of our co-founders at Omics. So, um, you know, had a great learning relationship with her, um, but was really confused by all the information out there and all this conflicting data. And, yeah. you know, you read six studies and they told you 12 different things and no one had the right answer. And the reality was there was no right answer for everyone, right? Everyone is so individual. And so I was talking to a, a really close friend of mine who's now also one of our co-founders, who is a lifelong um, engineer and was just sort of lamenting the fact that I had all of these different data points about myself. I had done blood tests and gut microbiome tests and CGM tests and all of these different things. And I just wanted to throw all of that information at one piece of technology and have it analyze it and spit it back out and be like, here's what you should do. And I was saying to him, like, wouldn't that be awesome? And I know it's a pipe dream. And his response was, well, why is it a pipe dream? Like, we can do that. That's, in fact, what machine learning was created to do. Um, and I said, great, we founded a company. <laughs> and uh, he had a full-time job and I convinced him and one other friend who um, had been a successful entrepreneur in the fitness space to join us. And so the four of us, you know, co-founded Omix um, and we're on a journey to help people live the best, most productive, healthiest, highest performing life that they can by analyzing data and helping them create lifestyle choices that um, they can stick to for a long time and that they enjoy and that help them, you know, like I said, perform as well as they can and be as healthy as they can. Right. Okay. So, you know, let's, let's jump into the early days. Literally you said, okay, you, you already tweaked a little bit about like how you met your co-founders or kind of like, you know, how that came about. Um, you know, you said, okay, you convinced, you convinced to met the other one um, by, by DMing her. Uh, let, let's, let's talk about, you know, concretely, con concrete kind of like, okay, you know, of, of really, you know, starting the company, going there, um, starting Omics, you know, t t let's talk about the early days. How did you like bring this all together? There's lots of things happening in the health and wellness space. Um, and then, you know, let's, let's get a little bit more concrete there. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, when it comes to analyzing data, there are really two, two types of, of data um, that you have. You have data that's collected sort of automatically through wearables or tests or things like that. And then you have data that you need, the user needs to input. And so our goal at Omics is to integrate with as many of the former as possible and to make all of the things in the latter group where, where the user has to input them themselves as easy and as stress-free as possible. Um, the biggest, we spoke to hundreds of people, Cassandra, my co-founder who had been, um, my nutritionist has coached thousands of clients ranging from 
you know, working parents to Olympians um, mm-hmm. and, and has, you know, a ton of experience doing that um, and is a, was a competitive athlete herself, is married to a competitive athlete. Um, and the number one complaint from everyone that we spoke to um, about this process was their food tracking. And the, the current options were just not viable because they were they were just too stressful. They weren't getting enough. The user wasn't getting enough out of what they were putting in. It wasn't intuitive, you know? And so we decided that this was one of those things that we needed to do. We needed to build our own product there. So we set out to build what we believe is the fastest, most efficient, most helpful, most user-friendly food tracking device um, or, or, or software in the world. And, um, we, so we, that was our first sort of goal was to build that because that was the missing link in the chain of all of these disparate pieces or, or, or streams of data that were coming in. So when we formed the company, we decided that we were going to spend the first you know five or six months doing that. Um, and we dove headfirst into that. Um, we built that. We beta tested it with a group of um, you know rigorous nutrition trackers um, and fitness enthusiasts. And the response was overwhelmingly positive. Um, the vast majority of people said that uh, they would switch from whatever program they were using today at that point to, to Omics right away. And even though we were already only in a beta um, and we knew that we had something there. Um, and with that amount of data that we were bringing in on the nutrition side, we knew that we could integrate with a lot of the other companies, the hardware companies, and we could get a holistic view of someone's lifestyle as it relates to health and wellness and performance. And so after we completed that part of the project, we shifted our focus to building out um, machine learning models that ingested all of these types of data um, and came up with these recommendations or these causal relationships between actions that you take um, and and the impact that they have on on your health and performance. And and so where we are today is we're getting ready to um, run a private pilot that's gonna be launching um, in June sometime with a curated group of of athletes um, and what we call executive athletes. So people who take their training seriously um, and their health seriously, although it's not a full-time job for them. These are, you know, doctors and lawyers and mothers and all sorts of people, all the way up to, you know, what we call elite athletes. So people who have competed in Olympic games before and and performance is the number one focus um, in their life, you know, personally and professionally. Uh, and then the goal is to launch the product publicly um, either late this year or early next year to um, a, a larger group of people and, and, and start to help people find the best way that they can manage their lifestyle to improve their health and performance. Right. So, you know, you sent me your pitch deck before and, and I, I, I loved it. It's, 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 it's clear messaging. And um, I, I spoke to, I, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of like go to market strategy uh, in, in that sense, or your, you know, your approach, which you just also talked about uh, in, in terms of the elite athlete as well, you know, this is, this is kind of where you're where you're coming from, right? And 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 bringing it further down the line to the wider masses in, in terms of like having that as a goal. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I talked to Phil Sauderland, um, who's who's the who's the founder from from Super Sapiens, right? And mm-hmm. so their approach is like also kind of like in 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 that domain, right? Where they're targeting where they're targeting the the, the elite athlete, right? The, the 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 person that is I don't know 
playing in the NBA or, or, you know, is, is competing at the Olympic games whatsoever. And, and, and then kind of like learning, learning at that stage and, and trying to, you know, move, move from there basically towards, you know, more people that are kind of like your everyday athlete or not, not your everyday athlete, but like, you know, that person that is rigorously doing sports following that is aware of their health, right. This is kind of like doing the right lifestyle choices. Um, um, and and my question is so uh, I I from the storyline that you that you were coming from right where you said like okay so I'm that individual who's like okay I I you know I I did um, I did all sorts of tests right I, I got my blood test uh, did a I don't know maybe genetics test but I'm, whatever right mm -hmm. all all these things I'm uh, I have a whoop I'm tracking all these things right you're that high performance individual you're super aware of all these things and I just want to put them together. Do you know, like, what's your, what's your, what's your kind of like take on this and how many people are actually in that bucket, you know, that have all these different data points? Because I imagine that because also with variables, right? Um, variables, mo mo a lot of, a lot of the pr problems, especially from academic research, right? The, the, um, the, the problem with variables is that you, you have like a, you know, a super high rate of, of people that are dropping them, like, you know, d drop them after like six months, right, wearing them. And the, the thing about them is cons constantly wearing them, right? So there are lots of lots of challenges. Like, how do you how do you approach these? Yeah, so um, a few things there that, that we can dive into, of course, you know, the first one is, you know, I have a, a ton of respect for the Super Sapiens guys. And I think that that strategy is one that a lot of people are using. The elite athletes are the most um adherent group right like they will they will track a lot they're willing yeah. to do what it takes to get that data because performance is how they make a living and it's what they've dedicated their life to um but it is the smallest group right it is the smallest target group so from a, from a business perspective and from a you know a venture-backed business perspective um finding that that product market fit and, and and maximizing your total addressable market is really important where that works really well is the fact that aspirationally these these executive athletes want to be like those elite athletes they want they see oh you know Christian Blumenfeld the world's you know champion triathlete or you know whoever it may be you know Kipchoge the you know the world record holder marathoner are doing these things and I'm never going to be that person but if it works for them it works it'll work for me and it'll help me be you know we talk about this a lot internally there are goals where you want to compete relative to another person, right? I want to be faster than so-and-so, or I want to lift more than so-and-so. And there are goals where you want to compete against your maximum potential, right? So I may never be as fast as Jonathan, but I want to be as fast as David can be. Right, um, right, and yeah. so, and so, you know, even if you're not going to be a Christian or a Kipchoge or something like that, there are tools that these people are using that have value for you. So there's a really sound strategy as it relates to go to market of saying, let's prove, right, that the product works using these people who care so much about their performance and whose literal livelihood is dependent upon it. And then there's a word of mouth and a sort of um organic growth strategy around that and then it, it it more than just those two groups it happens in a waterfall right so the experienced you know amateur marathoner starts using it because kipchoge used it and then the the, the guy who's run a few marathons uses it because their friend who's run 10 marathons uses it and then the woman who's running her first marathon uses it because her friend who's run five marathons uses it and so on and so forth so 
Um, that, that's definitely part of the strategy. Those elite athletes give you sort of validation, but then it trickles down all the way to a much sort of larger market, so to speak. When we talk about wearables, um, you know, it's a really interesting market. I think, you know, you're right that the market is very large. I mean, you know, if, if that's all relative, right? Is, is the number of people who have wearables large relative to the number of Instagram users? No, but is it, is exactly. it large? Is it a large absolute market? You know, obviously millions of people are, are using, you know, some type of wearable. Um, and I think that that group is growing. And I think that, you know, one of the things that we think about is that if you cohort people according to their age group, you know, there are more 40-somethings wearing wearables than 30 than 50-somethings. There are more 30-somethings than 40-somethings, so on and so forth. And we think that that will continue over time. And so young people today who are probably too young, you know, to, to have wearables today, when they hit their teens and 20s and 30s, we think that, that the, the, the penetration of that age group will go up significantly as those cohorts move through it. The big problem, to your point about if you talk to a lot of these wearables companies, a lot of them have a lot of three, four, five, six month retention. And a lot of them have 18 to 24 plus month retention where they, because in the beginning there's novelty and you're still learning a lot about yourself and stuff like that. And if you've got someone on for two plus years, like it just has become ingrained in their lifestyle and they're just going to stay with it because it's a part of them. It's that six to 18 month period where you see a lot of that attrition. And we believe that that's one of the problems that we're solving because what happens is, in our opinion, you learn a lot in the first few months, you move up this relatively steep learning curve, um, and then you understand a lot about yourself. But a lot of these wearables, because they're focused specifically on one modality or one biomarker or one issue, the learning curve flattens out and you say, okay, I understand if I eat this, then my blood sugar does that. Or if I go to sleep at this time, then my you know resting heart rate does that. And so there's this sort of leveling off and you get to a point where the ROI or the return on the investment that the user is having starts to go towards zero because they have to continue doing things, but they're not really getting anything new from it. And so they're telling you the what, right? You didn't sleep well, or your blood sugar increased, or you have a food sensitivity to this, but they're not telling you the why or the how. And this is really the crux of omics. We believe that the answers to those things lie not in necessarily the best testing of one specific area, but in finding the relationships between those areas and how changes in one impact the other. So we believe that we can help fight this attrition with and for a lot of these wearable companies, because if the user continues to learn new things about themselves, let's say you have a Whoop or an Aura and you use Strava and you use Levels or Super Sapiens and you, know, you track your food and all these things, you will continue to learn new things about yourself far beyond that six month period. And we believe that will fight the attrition because really for us, we look at everything as a return on investment. People are busy. They have wives and husbands and partners and friends and children and jobs and birthday parties and all of these things. And so we believe that one of our most important jobs is convincing people that they are getting a valuable return for the investment of whether it's time or money or energy that they are making in their health. So by continuing to track these things, 
we are actually providing you actionable lifestyle changes that you can do to help increase your life span, your health span, your performance, whatever it may be, whether that's I want to take one minute off my marathon time, or I want to stop being tired at 3 p.m. or you know whatever else it may be. People are busy and they're and we're asking people to make an investment in themselves. And we have to show them that they're getting a return on that investment. And we believe that that will help fight this attrition and actually help people want to invest more as they see the return on that investment improving. Okay, so ultimately, um, you know, the problem that you're that you're trying to tackle is 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 a very big is a big is a very big problem. I, I talked about this already back in and when was it October or November with uh, Professor Michael Snyder at, at who's who's uh, who's at Stanford University. So he's he's like he's doing with his lab. So at the Snyder Lab, they're doing like all sorts of like you know research with with variables and 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 everything. So th this guy alone has like six variables <laughs> that he has on him. <laughs> so he's like super you know kind of like zero to one. And um, or n equals one. Sorry, and 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 the problem that that we talked about back then was also that like okay, so you have all these different startups, right? All these different companies, and individually, the, the complexity like uh, human biology is is a complex system, right? And it's super interrelated, right? And there's a lot of things that we still don't know. At the same time, you have a bunch of startups, and each of these startups is are, is building up their own small data set. You know, let's say from the beginning, right, and is is doing one particular thing exactly what you just like talked about, right? And so, um, my question is, how are you ultimately going to be going to be putting this together, like and and like you know finding the causalities and like you know having having kind of like this this expert knowledge on this you know kind of like meta level because this seems to me very difficult because i like what i also see right now there's companies popping up you know which are providing kind of like you know a coaching layer over for example or mm -hmm. right like for for example for sleep because the data that is being put out is exactly what you said, right? So it's kind of like descriptive, you know, oftentimes it looks like it's designed for some McKinsey people, whatever, right? It's just like pure, it's just like some pure, pure, uh, pure graphs, or I don't know, like a number, but it, the, like the missing link is like, okay, so what does it actually mean for me? Like, what, what am I supposed to do with this? So, you know, tell me about like, how, how exactly, yeah. because this seems, seems like a very difficult problem. Yeah, it is a very difficult problem. And I don't think it would have been possible, you know, um, 10 years ago when the access to machine learning wasn't um, nearly what it is today. And so, okay. you know, humans, you can't solve these problems with humans, right? I, I, I believe, I don't think that, that humans can do these multi, multi, multi-factor regression analyses or these pattern recognition um, analyses that, machines can do. And, and um, you know, I am not a machine learning expert and, and I'm not a data scientist. And so um, I'm lucky that I've, you know, been able to surround myself, be it co-founders or other employees or advisors or contracted uh, workers. Um, you know, I, I take pride in the fact that I'm usually uh, one of the least intelligent people in the room, right? Like, um, I need, I need people that are a lot smarter than I am to, uh, to, to do a lot of the things that, that I dream about in my head, um, but don't know how to, um, operationalize, let's say. And so, um, 
you know, I, I agree with you. This is a really complex problem. And, and that's why we're so excited about what we're doing, because we believe that as the data sets grow and as the number of people, you know, that are that are tracking things increases yeah. and that the, the, the longitudinal, you know, samples increase um, that you know, using all sorts of different types of machine learning models um, and, and different types of, of data science analysis, we actually can find causal relationships between yeah. things that you do. And, you know, what's really important is not only finding things that do have an impact, but finding things that don't have an impact. People are wasting, you know, we go back to that ROI analogy that I use all the time and, and we use all the time internally, you know, the, the the return on investment is the quotient, you know, and, and so you can maximize that number either by increasing the R for a given I or by decreasing the I, right, and keeping the R constant. And so a lot of people spend a lot of, when we talk about investment, we always talk about time, money, and energy, right? A lot of people spend a lot of time, money, and energy on things that don't help them, right? And 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 the, the goal for us is not only to prove to people things that do help them, but also show them things that don't. So you can either reallocate that time, money, or energy to something else that will help. You can just take it back and say, I'm great where I am. And I get, you know, a two extra hours a week with my family, or I save a hundred bucks a month or whatever it may be. Yeah. But by putting all of these data together um, and using this really, you know, advanced mathematical and, and data science technology, um, we believe that we're going to be able to find these causal relationships. And we already are seeing um, in our testing a lot of really interesting outcomes and outputs um, from these models and, and, and finding ways that people can optimize certain what they call you know, outcomes or, or metrics that they're looking for, be it something super scientific like you know, your HRV or you know, um, your resting heart rate or you know, all the way up into training modalities of you know, how to train in different heart rate zones and all sorts of different stuff. Right. Okay. So how, how, how did you, how did you um, finance for, let's say, how, how long have, have you guys been gone already? Uh, we started the company uh, a little over a year ago. Okay. So uh, what, 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 what was first funding coming from? Yeah, the first round of funding was was very small, um, a few hundred thousand dollars. It was um, a very small group of friends and family, um, literally friend, very close friends and immediate family members, um, pretty much. Um, and it was really just to, to start the company, to put in place the infrastructure that we needed to build that food tracker right off the bat. Um, and then we went back to the market after the results of that beta test on the food tracker were so positive. And um, late last year, uh, we started to explore the idea of raising a, you know, a real pre-seed round or seed round, whatever you want to call it. Um, having spent a lot of time in the fit finance world, both in the public markets and more recently in the private markets, um, I had a lot of connections to some large institutional venture capital firms, um, some large angels and stuff like that. We explored the idea of you know, raising sort of, a, you know, I would call it mid single digit million dollar round. Um, and there was a lot of interest from a lot of, you know, top tier venture funds. 
um, you know, they all wanted to write bigger checks and, uh, you know, being very transparent here, but, um, deploy, deploy, I, I, deploy cash as, as quick as possible, <laughs> as quickly as possible. And I, I, I said to one who, um, has become a good friend, like, you know, it's sort of unfortunate for you that I spent 15 years, you know, working in finance before this, because I, I, I care about return on capital and I care about the, the deployment of capital. And, and I think that capital can be a moat and a competitive advantage at the later stages of companies, right? Like if you have proven product market fit, if you have a working customer acquisition engine um, and you pile more money into that engine, you should you know, theoretically get more customers and, and, and be able to move faster and build better products and improve current products and so on and so forth. I think I've seen a lot of companies overcapitalized at the very early stages. Um, and I think it's actually quite detrimental. It's really easy to get complacent. It's really easy to throw money at problems um, with a very low return on, on that capital. Um, and we had a few funds that were interested in leading around of, you know, more money than we needed, could responsibly spend, and quite frankly, were willing to take the dilution on at this point in our business. So we actually walked away from a few different firms. Um, and decided to go back and to our current investors um, and to um, some really strategic um, angels, basically, uh, who, who really cared about health and wellness and um, had built companies themselves in the space or in adjacent spaces or actually not even necessarily in adjacent spaces, but had really, you know, I have a, a dear friend who, who runs um, a very successful fintech company, and uh, he often talks about the check size to helpfulness ratio and how it's the most, one of the most important metrics you can think about when you start a company. And it is astronomically high for most investors, meaning they will write you a big check, but will not help you at all, despite what they say when they're pitching. And he has <laughs> notoriously said publicly, you know, the highest, the, the highest helpfulness to check size ratio comes from people who write, you know, sub $10,000 checks. Now, it's very hard to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars, five and $10,000 at a time. So we went back and we said, we thought about how much money we actually needed to build a working, you know, sort of MVP of this new version of this technology, which we call your second brain, this, this machine learning technology. Um, and it was far less than any of these venture capital funds wanted to, you know, wanted to deploy into our company. So we went back, and we pulled together a group of very close friends, very um, strategic angels, and put together a uh, basically a one million dollar round, um, which you know we did earlier this year. Um, we run the company very, very lean. We're you know we're burning well under you know a hundred thousand dollars a month. Um, we're insanely focused on what we're trying to build and. Um, you know, we believe that when we, we've, we've kept in touch with all the funds and we do regular monthly updates with some of them, you know, we send out a monthly email, obviously, but we also do calls with some of them. And we're basically, you know, working to do as much of the work as we can before we need to go out and raise. So, you know, you talk to these companies, you tell them what you're going to do, you deliver on that. And then when it's time to raise, you know, they already have six, nine, 12 months of quote unquote trust built with you because they've watched you grow. And, and that process should theoretically be a lot faster and easier, or hopefully um, should be a lot faster and easier. So the plan is to run this pilot program 
um, and then go out and and raise um, a, a you know a significant round to commercialize the product and and do a public launch. So you got like run rate until kind of like end of the year. Yeah, we can go through. We'll go through the end of the year. We also have um, we're in a really fortunate position where a lot of our current investors um, wanted to deploy more capital, even like angels who put in you know low to mid five figures wanted to put in six figures, and so. If we wanted to, we could raise more capital, um, you know, non-institutionally and, and, and uh, you know, sort of build out the runway. I think we're in a really good spot, even, you know, especially given what's going on in the marketplace today. Right? Let's talk about um, that. Let's talk yeah. about that because that's that, a I'm disaster. Curious. Yeah. It, I, <laughs> I'm curious about that. I'm curious about your 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 take on this because you, you obviously, I mean, you know, uh, having spent considerable time in the finance uh, world and, you know, um, being in New York and obviously having lot, lots of, you know, friends and buddies probably still in there and stuff like that. Um, you know, if, if we look at, uh, and, and I'm sure you're also like seeing all the buzz on Twitter and stuff, right? Um, mm -hmm. There's kind of like the super negative sentiment, obviously, that is kind of like going around, etc. you know, for like increasing run rates, lowering costs, etc. kind of like recession, etc. all these different kind of, you know, words and, and, and sentiments that are thrown around. Um, so what's, what's your take in, in, in that regard with, you know, kind of like the macro perspective on how you see, you see things in that, in that regard? Yeah. Um, so I think there are a few things to talk about. Um, number one, I think it's really stage dependent, right? Um, super early stage businesses are growing off such a small base. If that base is not zero, that I think that, that secularly their growth can overtake any cyclicality. Right. So, you know, you're not you're I don't want to say immune to to macro factors because you're certainly not. But the where you are in the life cycle of a business is very different than, you know, a series CD, you know, multi hundred million dollar revenue company. Um, and so I think we're able to weather the storm in certain ways that that larger companies aren't because, you know, we're, we're like I said, growing off such a small base that we yeah. can still keep our head down and execute and not have to worry about a lot of the problems that um, some of the bigger companies have, number one. Number two, I think if you think about, you know, I've been in the, the, the equity investing world for a long time, you know, the economics of, there's a great, brilliant guy named Michael Mobison, who was for a long time, um, the chief strategist for Bill Miller, who famously had beat the S&P index the most years consecutively when he was at Lake Mason. Um, and, and Michael talks about the difference between the business and the profession of investing. And the profession is earning the highest return for your investors, your LPs, um, and the business is earning the most money that you can for yourself. And those things theoretically are, are tied because you're earning a percentage of the gains. Um, but are often not tied and are and in some ways are at odds. And so the point is that a lot of funds have raised a lot of money and they need to deploy that capital. So the idea that they're just not going to deploy capital at all anymore, I think is overblown. Is it will it be at lower valuations? Sure. Will the bar be higher? Sure. Like maybe, you know, but um, at the end of the day, VCs, hedge funds, whatever it is, you know, investors don't deploy capital and they don't make money. And so I think that we're, there's this hysteria right now um, that people are just pulling the gates down and stuff like that. And I don't think that that's you know, totally accurate. 
that said, I think that the, the hysteria is real. Um, investors are really smart in a lot of ways and, and really not that smart in, in a lot of ways also. Um, you know, I was in the public world, uh, public equities world through 2008, um, saw that disaster. Um, you know, people tend to extrapolate. They take two points on a line and they extrapolate it through. And when things are good, they say they're going to be good forever. And when things are bad, they say they're going to be bad forever. And, yeah. you know, history doesn't support that theory. So I think, is the pain real? Yes. Uh, like, are we, you know, I'm not going to, you know, pontificate or, or theorize about whether we're in a recession or going to be in a recession. People far smarter than I am should, should do that. But is there, yeah, has there been sort of a bubble in, in venture? Sure, right? Like companies are raising at ridiculous valuations and, and do they deserve to come back to earth a little bit? Probably, but there's also the great Warren Buffett sentiment of like, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. Like there are gonna be great deals done in these days and people are gonna find phenomenal companies and be able to deploy large sums of capital into those companies at very attractive valuations and two, three, five, ten 10 years down the road are gonna look like absolute geniuses. So that's a lot of different perspectives and, and all to say sort of, I don't know what's going on, but yeah, what yeah. we're focused on is, is building a great company. And, and we're fortunate to be in a spot where we don't need a ton of capital, where we have um, avenues to get to capital that we do need. Um, and our, our sort of sole and myopic focus is on building a great product right now. Yeah, I think this is, those are like a lot of great points here. And, and, you know, I think people who are building a great product and, you know, who have a, who have a good team and like also have, you know, the right connections, I think will always be able to attract capital, you know, that, 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 that's kind of like the baseline. I think, you know, oftentimes the, the problem is, 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 you know, just that you have so much capital, you know, that, that is available throughout all these funds, right? And and as you said, right, that that needs to be deployed. The question is like, are there that many companies, you know, that, mm -hmm. that, that can be invested in? Because, you know, matter of fact, like oftentimes I think like, okay, there's not that many great companies, you know, in the sense like, you know, a lot sure. of things that you can see, like they're, they're not really like groundbreaking. So, um, and and you know my my question to that as well is so you know with 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 inflation being 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 crazy and stuff how do you see that in the sense of like um you know you, you said like we we took on a small round right because we also did not want to dilute and stuff i think this is like a very this is like a way of building a company which kind of has been forgotten or like which has been not like kind of like taken in yeah. throughout the past years where it's like literally about okay so we're we're trying to cut costs as you know as 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 you know low as possible you know no fancy crazy stuff or whatever you know we're not having these crazy offices or whatever we're literally like trying to just like make they build a product team is super focused it's a small core team etc like you know tell me about like all these different kind of like you know processes tools etc ways of like trying to build lean in that sense you know yeah, I think that it, it these people that are all talking about cutting costs and and things like that now by definition it means that they were overspending before, right? Like you can't you can't cut things that aren't there, right? That you know and and yeah, so yeah, I think exactly. it's it's about philosophy and I lived through you know between college and learning about finance and working in finance the tail end of the greatest secular bull market of all time. Right. Like, so I saw 
you know, 20 something year olds making millions and millions of dollars and offices with, you know, putting greens in them and like, you know, kids who should be flying and coach chartering planes for business meetings. Like uh, the the extravagance was, was unbelievable. Um, And it just comes down to, I also, by the way, in that time met with, you know, when I was on the sell side and on the buy side, some of the most successful, wealthy investors in the world who like took public transportation and, and, you know, flew coach <laughs> and stuff like that. And you're like, those are the guys that, that really understand what's going on. And not to say that you should starve companies of capital because you, you can't be successful that way and you can't cost save your way to prosperity, but you have to have a focus on spending money on what matters um, and what can have a high return. Right. And I understand that, you know, when it's competitive for, for employees and stuff like that, people are doing all sorts of things to attract talent, and, you know, but those people, I would argue, don't have the right incentives or, or philosophy either, you know, and, and to your point, like all these businesses, like not every business was made to be a venture back business, first of all, um, yeah. not every business was made to grow, you know, astronomically and lose a ton of money as they did it right like and not every business was made to ipo or or be worth a billion dollars like when our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents started businesses like it was a profession for them right they weren't like oh i'm starting this hardware store and i'm going to sell it to some big hardware conglomerate or you know like whatever like they found something that they enjoyed doing and that they thought that they could do well and they did it and you know i've wanted to start a company for a really long time it was one of the reasons i left the public equities world was that I felt like that we weren't having an impact or we weren't really involved in the outcome, so to speak. And so, but I knew that, that it, it's, it, I, I've watched friends very successful and friends that have failed and I knew that how hard it was. And, and so what I wanted to avoid was what I'll call sort of like the, the business school thesis, right? Like a bunch of kids who are probably pretty privileged sitting in a room and going, Hey, this is a huge TAM. Like, Let's go after that, right? Because when things get hard, which they inevitably will, um, it's easy to cut bait, right? It's easy to go, oh, well, this was too, this is too hard. Like this isn't worth it. Let's uh, let's try. There are a lot of big tams out there. Let's go find another one. And so I was waiting and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And uh, you know, this sounds um, like uh, a little cheesy, but like finding fitness and wellness changed my life like literally and physically, mentally, psychologically, I'm I'm a better person. I'm a better parent. I'm a better husband. I'm a better colleague, a better friend. Like this is my forever business. This is not, we never talk about exits or anything like that. Like we're building a company because it's what we passionately believe in. And we think that we can have an impact on the world, which is not to say that you you can do good and do well at the same time. It's not to say that we're not trying to be successful financially or anything like exactly. that you know yeah but but it, it it can't be the sole motivator and you have to find something that is real um there's we talked to a lot of founders and, and other companies and, and there's something that vcs also often call a founder bet where you know they're yeah they're exactly looking, yeah. they're looking for someone who's super passionate and, and it's probably the biggest compliment that i could get from a vc if someone's like hey we're gonna take a founder bet here like that to me is like, okay, I've done my job and I've, I've convinced you and I've shown you the passion that I have for this business and how nothing is really going to get in our way. We're just not going to let it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think this also like, you know, this kind of like also plays back the importance in terms of like the investor, like if you have like a VC backed venture, then, you know, it, it plays back to the to the importance of choosing the right investors, right? Because, sure. you know, with the voting rights and stuff like that, you know, you need to you need to have like, if you have founders, if you have a team, which like, you know, which I, I like this analogy that you just like, you know, brought up. It's like, I'm building, I'm building this business and I'm, I'm not, you know, thinking of like, okay, what is the end game here? I'm like, I, I love this. Right. Um, I think, I think it's super important to have like the right investors on board who understand that. And then just say like, okay, you know, let these guys do, these guys are on a mission, you know, let, let them build. And I think this is, this is super important because it, this can like quickly also go into kind of the different, different direction, which you also said of like, you know, give people giving you cash but not like really supporting you and then you know trying to tell you where to go or what to do or you know just push you into the next round investors should be you know investors and founders it's a marriage right it's a hopefully a yeah. long successful marriage and the analogy that i always use is like bad terms is like a prenuptial agreement in a marriage right <laughs> it's like everything's great and we're going to be married forever but when we get divorced here's how the everything's going to yeah, split up yeah, yeah, it's the same yeah. thing as saying like everything's great we totally trust you to run your company but when you inevitably screw it up like here's how we're going to take control like that's not that's not getting things off on a good foot and and people are so desperate to raise money and i totally get that listen like i'm like i have a family to feed and also to, you know our, our co-founders and themselves and this is a, a high stress, high, you know, workload job and, and people want to be compensated. I get it. Um, but what I would say is, you know, there's always a race to raise the capital. I close my round in 17 days. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you wouldn't marry someone or most people, some people do. I know, I know a couple who got married they, five days after they met and they've been married for like 20 years and they're super happy. And so that that's possible, but it's, it's the outlier. Right. And, 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 and it's, it's tough. And so I think the quality of the investor, not only the quality investor, there are a lot of really high quality investors, but they're not the right investor for your company. Right. Like just because someone's not right for you, doesn't mean they're not right for someone else. Doesn't mean they're not great people um, and so on and so forth. So I think founders really need to think about who can help me who will let me do what I want to do to a certain extent, but also be there to support me? And who do I feel like I can go to and be honest with and say, hey, I don't know what I should be doing right now. You have a lot of experience. You've seen a lot of other companies and, and be in a place of trust where that's not viewed as, oh, this person's drowning or doesn't know what they're doing or anything, right? There's no shame in asking for help or, or leveraging. You don't have to reinvent the wheel every time, right? There's no shame in leveraging other people's experiences for your own knowledge and, and so you don't make the same mistake so for us like we actually said no to a lot of first meetings even with funds that were we were introduced to because they didn't it wasn't the health and wellness world wasn't in their dna and, it, and, and for some people it wasn't exactly. in their, yeah, their, yeah, their yeah. philosophy at all and other people it just felt like it was um opportunistic right and that wasn't for us. So, you know, it, it's super important. And when we do raise a larger round, um, it, we will be very careful about the investors that we, that we, you know, partner with. I, I always like, what do you think about this thesis that I, I have? Like, I, I have this thesis that, you know, nowadays there is no such a thing as, you know, just, just like just the notion of talking to the right person. 
in the sense of like, you know, targeted pitching in that sense, you know, where you're like, okay, so if I could like, okay, you're, you're running, right. And you're like, okay, so this, this, at this time, like we're supposed to be raising again, or I need to be raising some capital or whatever, or this is like, not just not, okay. Let's not call it raising. Like I, I just need additional partners kind of like on board and you be like knowing about, okay, so you know what, actually this is the person or like these two or three people I would like to, I like, I would like to have them on board, you know, as investors, mm -hmm. not just because of their money, but, you know, because of, of the people. Right. So, and that nowadays in the world that we're living in, especially in the privileged position that you're anyways already, right. Are as a founder, mm -hmm. as, a, as a, or like as a person that is building companies, right. You're, you're already like in a super privileged position, you know, um, don't you think that there, there isn't even like this, you know, case or problem of like, okay, you know, getting access to, to the right people or like talking to the right people, because I feel like, you know, this is, this it's, 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 it's more or less than, you know, not knowing them or not being aware of the people that could potentially be the right people. And that's the hard part. And look, it's, it, it, the, the media and Twitter and all these things, you know, they make it seem really easy. Right. And yeah. for a lot of people, it is easy. A lot of those people happen to be white, male, highly educated, you know, people. So um, I think for some people, a lot of things are easy. And, and I'm a very, I happen to be white and male. And so I, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I happen to be very privileged. And I've had a, a very privileged life and a very privileged career. Um, you know, but I think there are a lot of people out there who have incredible ideas who don't, it, it, it it's, it's easy to just pick, oh, well, your issue is like, you don't have the access. Well, like the access is everything, you know? And, yeah, and yeah. so it's, it's, it seems um, nominal to people who do have the access, right? But to the people who don't, it's, it's, it's everything. And so um, I think it's the responsibility of venture capitalists as well as founders, but venture capitalists to start to look outside the box a little bit and, and you know, not only fund Stanford graduates and, you know, stuff like that and not nothing against Stanford graduates. I would have loved to have gone to Stanford, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, uh, th like there's, there's, a, there's not necessarily a correlation between where you went to school and, and how much money your parents have and your, how good your idea for a company is. Right. Like yeah, 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 yeah. Know, a lot of founders who came from nothing. And so it's it's hard. And, and that's the, the, the real struggle. Right. Like if you're a founder who doesn't have seven term sheets and you need capital to run your business and you're not like totally in love with the found with the firm that does give you a term sheet, like what are your options? Right. It's like going back to that marriage analogy, like. The woman you really want to marry is marrying someone else, right? But like you want to get married and this person's okay. And like, you know, whatever. And like, there are a lot of people that settle. Um, probably my wife was one of them, but, uh, <laughs> the, you know, um, you know, there, there are a lot of people who, who settle because they have to, because they need capital. And, and so not everyone gets their first choice in anything in life. Right, know? right, right. Yeah. But it's a, it's a really interesting area. And I hope that over time, there's a democratization of capital for um, all different types of ideas from all different types of founders, because um, it's just not, it's not the right, we're not maximizing our potential. Yeah, absolutely. You know, kind of like, 
lo looking at time as well, I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you, you guys, you guys um, are super focused. That's what you said. Um, where do you, where do you see yourself kind of like, you know, pulling, pulling towards kind of end, end of the year, you said you, you got something coming out in June. Um, you know, talk to me about uh, potential partnerships because, you know, I was, I was looking at the slide um, where uh, within the pitch bag, pitch deck where, you know, you have like all these different kind of like uh, areas that you, that you kind of like, you know, uh, talk about which, which, which are a potential data source. Right. And I'm thinking about that for, for some of these, right. So for example, I was thinking about like, for example, the, 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 um, things such as mindfulness or kind of like mental health related things, right. You could be mm -hmm. utilizing, for example, an SDK from a startup from a different company or so. Right. So like things which, which could kind of like, you know, um, support you guys in, in, a, in, a, in your product ultimately, how how do you guys look at that within kind of like the next the next couple of years uh not years months yeah so it's a great question there are um when we, when going back a little bit we were talking about you know there are two types of data streams right the ones where you can integrate with another company and the ones where the users have to put them in yourself and i said that the goal for the former was to integrate with as many as we can we were we've hit the double digits um in terms of companies that we're integrated with um i think it's 12 now but it, mm, not don't quote me on that um but it's somewhere around there um and the goal is to integrate with as many as we can because you know for us the big thing is meeting the user where you are a lot of these we talked about attrition earlier a lot of these diet plans or workout regimens and stuff like that see uh, see similar attrition because people can do anything for 60 or 90 days but then they just get tired of it. If, it, if it's too outside of their sort of right. homeostasis, right? They're like, I can't do this anymore, right? And so for us, Cassandra, my co-founder and, and nutritionist was always talking about sort of meeting people where they are, right? Like you have to meet people where they are. And so if you're always trying to fit this square peg into a round hole, you know, yeah, you're gonna have some success for a little bit of time, but then people are going to get tired of living in a way that is not their sort of natural way. And so our goal is to integrate with as many companies as we can. So we give people the optionality. You don't just have to use Calm. You can use Calm or, you know, any of uh, these other seven, you know, meditation programs, or you don't just have to use, you know, Strava, you can use whatever, you know, and, and so, or you don't have to use an Apple Watch. You could also use a Whoop or an Aura or a Garmin or, you know, a Koros watch or, or anything like that. And so we want to give as much optionality to the user as possible so they don't feel like they're being pushed into uh, some mold that's predetermined for what is the quote unquote right way to do things, right? We want them to feel like they get that they, they have, um, they have agency and they can choose and they can live their life. And our goal is to help them live that life. And, and there are a lot of features and functionality that we, are working on that we are mocking up and wireframing and stuff like that um that we can't get into just quite yet but maybe if i'm lucky enough to be back on in, in a year or so we can talk about it but um our goal is to essentially be your your virtual personal health assistant right yeah. so we can help you manage your whole life around health and performance optimization um and and we need to integrate with a lot of companies in order to do that because we certainly can't do it all ourselves and some of them have SDKs, like you said, some of them open APIs that we can link into. Some of them, we need to form partnerships. We formed a few partnerships with some very large companies on the um, on the data side already that we're gonna be talking about more publicly, hopefully very soon. 
Um, and, you know, but, but that's a, that's a massive thing because the more data we get, the better, um, recommendations and, and suggestions we can offer the users. Yeah. I, I, you know, just for the record, you know, uh, I, I think oftentimes people just like, don't understand like how, how difficult that actually is or how much work that actually is, you know, when we talk about integration. So just uh, from a technical perspective and in, in, in regards to like how much work that is, the more, the more things you integrate with, you know, the more things you need to be kind of like, you know, keeping track with and, and, and update and stuff like that. So there's actually quite a lot of work. Um, yeah. I'll tell so, you how hard it is. Integrations engineer is on a list for my two-year-old's job profession. So like, it's so hard that like, I would, I'm, I want my son to be one because, you know, they're just, they're, they're, they're incredibly difficult yeah. to, to, to not only, not, not really necessarily incredibly difficult all the time to create, but to, to your point, to maintain, it maintain maintenance. Lot, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's like Jenga, right? Like you pull one piece, one thing exactly. goes wrong, exactly. this whole thing collapses. Yeah, 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 so yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. really important. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it's quite, it can, can be quite, quite the pain in the ass. Um, so, you know, what, what, can you, you know, okay, no, you actually said you, 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 you will be talking public about them, but like, if you, if you can, if you, if you, if you can think about like, you know, a number, so, if, if you kind of like look towards the end of the year, mm -hmm. you, you know, where, where do you see you guys in terms of like, you know, you, you, you're getting a selective group of users now on, onto, onto the, onto the product. Where, when do you see kind of the moment of like really trying to, you know, get more partnerships with athletes, et cetera, and then kind of like trying to go more towards the direction of the executive um, kind of yeah. athlete, you know, timeline wise. Absolutely. Yeah. We're talking to, um, a lot of athletes now, a lot of, uh, wearables and testing companies, a lot of coaches and, um, like performance, not only, you know, like not only like athlete coaches, but like their, their performance coaches. Right. So not only right. their specialty, like, Oh, I'm a basketball coach, but the guys who do a lot of the strength conditioning, wellness, performance, all that stuff. Um, talking to a lot of those people um, and, and talking to a lot of other, like I would say wellness related type companies, gyms, you know, workout, you know, routine companies, yeah. stuff like that to, to partner with. The goal is on that sort of like what we call, you know, obviously the, like the biz dev side of things. The goal is to keep working on that stuff through while the pilot sort of concurrently and, and in parallel with the pilot running, um, and so we can show people efficacy and show people the product and the outcomes and the responses to that the, the initial users are getting um, and solidify some of those partnerships. The goal over the next sort of, I would say, six to nine months is to get into a place where we're in a position to launch publicly, you know, to, you know, hopefully a few thousand or you know, whatever people um, that will be in the fourth quarter or in the first quarter of 2023. It sort of, you know, depends on on a lot of different things but um we're moving towards a product where you know we have a working mvp um and you know i would love to get it out you know in this calendar year but you know one of the things that like we talk about as a team all the time is like i'm yeah. just never gonna sub ship a substandard product like it's just not worth it to me like if we have to wait a little while or or you know that means we can't spend money on something else because we have to you know spend money on overhead in order to get the product right like that's what we're gonna do this is a this is a product first company we 
hope and believe it will be a product-led marketing company and, and our product will impress people so much that that they will want to use it and want to tell other people about it but there's just no world in which we ship substandard products so it, it's hard to, to pinpoint an exact date now but it, it should be in that time frame i love that um I'm, I'm looking forward i'm looking forward towards that um definitely keep you guys on track and we'll, we'll definitely get you back on the show you know uh once once thing uh, once things are uh, a little bit more mature it's definitely exciting i think there's lots of things happening in uh, in the space and um we're, we're just at the at the tip of the iceberg so um david it was it was great having you it was great having you in the show um you know thanks for kind of giving us an insight on what you guys are building and uh would love to you know would love to have you back sometime yeah absolutely i really appreciate you reaching out and i, I appreciate the time and and thanks to everyone who who tuned in and, and listened and you know feel free to, to reach out to us directly we'd love to hear thoughts comments concerns questions suggestions anything um you know via social you know feel free to reach out or any other way um the good news is that the team is really small, so you're going to hear directly from me probably. So uh, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. It was a great, great chatting with you. And yeah, we'd love to come back when, when we have more to talk about publicly and um, we'll definitely keep in touch.